Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it's so good to see y'all. How y'all been? Good? I've uh, been looking forward to being over here with you today uh, for a few weeks now. It's uh, It's been, I don't know, probably October, right, Josh? Josh hadn't had a break in a while. He needed a Sunday off, right, to rest a little bit. But uh, I appreciate Can we thank Pastor Josh for his work in Alberta and leading us over here? And Pastor Nathan as well. Appreciate all that they're doing. And uh, we've... Uh, We've been thankful that uh, Josh and Tam and the girls have moved back uh, to be with us. Well, this is my second service this morning. I just preached downtown Pensacola at the St. John's Divine Baptist Church for Dr. Joseph Marshall. It's an African-American church in Pensacola, and uh, they preached me to death. I'm exhausted, all right? I need a Gatorade. Uh, I had one man over to my left the whole time I was preaching, and he kept saying, tell me something, Reverend, okay? kept saying, tell me something, Reverend. And so I was telling him something. So DJ, that's your job in this service, all right? Just every so often say, tell me something, Reverend. Uh, but we had a great time this morning. Uh, the pastor there, Dr. Joseph Marshall, is a friend, and he's 51, 52, was a blue angel at one time, uh, retired from the Navy, and he has cancer, had cancer surgery just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so we're just uh, praying for him and for his wife, Terry and uh, for his healing process. And so he asked some pastors in the area of just to come and encourage their church uh, throughout the month of December. And so uh, I enjoyed doing that and being with them this morning, all right? But I'm glad to see you, and I want you to grab your Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter 1, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1, and in just a minute, I'm going to read verses 3 through 9. Pastor John is preaching down in Perdido Key today, and so appreciate him and uh, his work and with our students. Uh, he is doing a great job, and, and I appreciate uh, appreciate his diligence. You did hear they had a baby, right? Everybody heard that? Pastor John and Jordan had a baby. Uh, Elizabeth Joy was born, and so I asked him uh, a couple days ago, and he said, we're getting about four hours of sleep. How many of you glad that's not you, right? That's not you. <laughs> so uh, we're excited for, for them and for their baby. Well, today in Advent, as you've already done scripture reading, uh, the subject today is joy joy. How many of you grew up in church? Did you grow up in church, sort of? How many of you, when you're in Sunday school or maybe children's church, you learned the little song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, and then somebody had to say, it was always the boys versus the girls, right? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, where? Down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. In other words, it's not going to leave. You're always going to have joy when you know Jesus. And that's the theme for the message today in 1 Peter chapter 1. I think y'all read that a while ago, right, in our scripture reading, verses 3 through 9. So I'm not going to read it for you again. Just let me kind of jump into the message, and then we'll unpack the text. Joy is mentioned over 70 times in the New Testament. 70 times. And anytime you see the word joy, it is not related necessarily to your circumstances, okay? But joy is related to spiritual realities, spiritual realities. Uh, the, uh, one of the Bible dictionaries defines joy this way, that joy is the deep down sense of well-being in your heart when you know that everything is right between you and the Lord. It's a sense of well-being 
that just kind of flows out of the depths of your heart when you know that everything is right between you and the Lord. So let me just ask you as I begin, uh, you say, tell me something, Rev. <laughs> I was right on time. That was good. That was good. Keep it up. So, so the question here at the beginning of the sermon is this, is everything well today between you and the Lord? If it's not, then you're not living in the fullness of the joy of the Lord. John Piper said this, look on the screen, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So how satisfied are you today with Jesus? How happy today are are you knowing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? The Westminster Catechism, which is just a, a creed, if you will, in our Christian faith, says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are you enjoying the Lord today? Are you enjoying your relationship with him? Are you enjoying your Bible? Are you enjoying church? Are you enjoying God's blessings? Because that is the chief end, the chief end of man. And when you find yourself in those hard times and difficult times and stressful times, you remind yourself of verses like Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 that says, the joy of the Lord is my The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then next week we'll be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. But that fourth verse says this, Rejoice in the Lord, how often? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now watch, that verse there is is a proof text, if you will, that our joy is not tied to our circumstances that our joy is not tied to our situations. Because if you're going to rejoice in the Lord always, then you're going to have joy in your heart no matter what you're facing in your life. Uh, how many of you ever read anything by C.S. Lewis? Have y'all heard that name? Amir Christianity. Uh, what else? Screw tape Letters. He's written a, a lot of books. A great thinker. But I, I love what he said. C.S. Lewis said, It is a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as you can be. Now, here's a deep theologian. He's not being fluffy. He's really talking doctrine here of the Scriptures. And he says, as you know, it's it's the Christian duty for you to be as happy as you can be. Now, here's the invitation. I'm going to stop the sermon right here. How many of you are happy as you can be? If you're not, you need to get that way, all right? Are you, are you, would you describe your life today as I am as happy as I can be? Uh, Pierre Chardin said this, joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. If we have no joy, we have missed the heart of the good news. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see the, the words good news, my mind automatically goes to the gospel, okay? Because the gospel means good news. If if joy is not the surest evidence in your life, then we have missed the heart of the good news. Someone said that joy is the flag that's flying over the castle of your heart announcing that the king is in residence today. 
Is the king in residence in your life today? If he is, then you've got joy. And how many of you know that joy is, is like a magnet? It's like a winsome magnet because there's so many people who find themselves without joy. I, one more. I love William Barclay reading his commentaries and his thoughts. This is probably my favorite one, his favorite quote. Here it is. Ready? Nothing in all of religious history has done Christianity more harm than long faces and black clothes. Long faces and black clothes. Now, when you've been a pastor for 28 years, you have preached occasionally and seen some long faces in the audience. There are none like that here today. I'm glad to tell you, all right? But, but when, you, when you look out, when you encounter people, it doesn't matter if you're at church or if you're at the school or in your neighborhood, you can just tell when people are living in the joy of the Lord. Now, at the Christmas birth announcement in Luke chapter 2, what did the announcement include? I bring you good news of, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, Charles Haddon Spurgeon called 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, a string of pearls, a string of pearls. We actually used it back at Easter time when we looked at the theme of living hope, and we're using it today to focus on what it says about rejoice. I hope you have your Bible open. Look at it with me real quickly. Notice that Peter says that we should rejoice in this. Now, he says actually in verse number 6, in this you rejoice. And that statement points backwards to verses 3, 4, and 5. Verse 3 begins with the word blessed. That word means happy. Happy. You're blessed. You're happy. You're blessing God, your Father, uh, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're filled with joy. Why? I want to make sure that you understand and don't miss this next part about his great mercy and about the fact that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's an important statement in verse number three that I don't want you to miss. It says that God has caused us to be born again. Let's make sure that we do not miss the work of God and the initiation of salvation of being born again, that it is a work of God. You don't save yourself. You don't even initiate salvation. God does a work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, yep, you're a sinner. Yep, you need Jesus. You need to repent of your sin. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A natural man doesn't do that on his own. And so uh, verse 23 of chapter 1 is another verse that helps us understand what it means to be born again. Peter said, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. How, how were you born again? I'll tell you how. You had to have the work of the Holy Spirit 
and the truth of the word of God that brought awareness in your life as to what you need. That's how you're born again. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, right? He comes to Jesus at night. Jesus, I know that you're from God. All this stuff that you're saying, it just, it just, you, you're smart. You've got wisdom. You know the truth. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says what? Nicodemus, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to be born again. Born again. And Nicodemus' response was, how can I be born again? I'm an old man. How can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth, being born from above. So let me ask you today, have you been born from above? Have you been born again? If you have, remind yourself, rejoice in the fact that God initiated that in your life. There was a man named George Whitfield. You might have heard his name. He's a pretty famous uh, pastor, preacher from the past, a well-known preacher. And in his teenage years, when he was 16 years old, he was really struggling with the guilt of sin. And he didn't know what to do. And so he tried several different things. One thing was twice a week he would fast for 36 hours. He thought that, man, if I would just deprive myself of uh, food, that that'll somehow get God's attention and he'll, he'll actually forgive me of my sins. Every day, listen to this, he had written prayers that someone had given him, and every day he would read those prayers. Now get the picture. He's reading these prayers, and he's fasting, and he's just trying his best to, to work and to, and to earn something, to earn forgiveness from God. And then one day, he met a man named Charles Wesley. You recognize Wesley, John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher. It was his brother, Charles. Charles handed him a book. And Whitfield began to read through that book, and he began to open up his Bible and compare what it says. And Whitfield says it was through that book and through the reading of John chapter 3 about Nicodemus that he finally understood how a person would have their sins forgiven and washed away. It was by being born again. Whitfield said he bowed his head and he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior and he was born again. And, and then George Whitfield became a preacher. He preached a lot of revivals and a lot of open-air meetings. It was said in his ministry that over 1,000 times the title of his sermon was, You Must Be Born Again again. He wanted everyone to know and to experience what he had experienced. So let me ask you, have you experienced being born again? If you have at this Christmas time, it's time to rejoice. We rejoice, Peter said, over his mercy. Remember, mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. We rejoice that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We live our lives in this moment with peace and assurance about the future. I'm not worried today about where I'm going. If I die today, I'm not worried about it. It's not because I'm a great person. It's not because I'm sinless. It's not because I don't make any mistakes. It's because I've been born again. My name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And and I rejoice today in this living hope moving forward, knowing that I'm not going to lose my living hope because I 
am secure in Christ. I meet people who struggle with this matter of eternal security or, you know, pastor, I've been saved, but I fell off into sin and now I'm not sure that I'm saved. And unfortunately, too many people have testimonies of of repeated salvations. You know, I've been saved three or four or five times. Pastor, I've been baptized four or five times. I've even met people that have said to me, Pastor, I, I, I feel like I've lost my salvation. Well, I've got good news for you today based off of the Scriptures. It's not possible to lose your salvation. You live in hope today. And that hope is not, that hope is not, man, we're just all struggling. We hope we make it in. I just hope I make it into heaven before the gate closes. That's not the kind of hope we have in Christ. The word hope in the Bible is a word of assurance that I know that I have been born again. So I'm living in hope. I'm living in joy. I'm living in hope. Notice what else he says. Because, verse 4, I have an inheritance. Man, anytime you use that word, people perk up and listen, right? Anybody okay with an inheritance? Come on now. You okay with an inheritance? Something you're going to receive? You know, when we think about an inheritance, we think about really kind of something that we're going to enjoy, okay? Something you're going to receive in the future. I want you to know this. When Peter writes about an inheritance, he, he's, he's not saying, you know, it's not like we're born again now, and so we're going to be miserable until we hit jackpot and get the inheritance. No, notice the word to. To an inheritance, it implies that you're living in it. When you think about inheritance, and I don't have uh, time to really chase this rabbit today, but you ought to study the Old Testament and all the places that it mentions an inheritance. So what is important to the Jewish people when it comes to inheritance? The land of Israel, right? That's our land. God gave it to us. Uh, you know, it's been taken from us in certain areas, been, and we deserve it because God gave it to us. One of the big things about finding the book of Isaiah and the Dead Sea Scrolls is that it included the dimensions of the land that God said actually belongs to the nation of Israel. This country is ours, this, this fruitful land that produces so much vegetation. It's ours. God gave it to us. You know what they failed to realize? Many of them. The greatest thing was not that they received the land for the inheritance. The greatest thing they received was a covenantal relationship with God. The greatest treasure, church, hear me. The greatest treasure is not your mansion and your crown and the streets of gold. The greatest treasure that lies ahead for us is when we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face for the first time. That is the inheritance. So we think about the things that are coming. And that's really what December and Christmas time is all about, right? Especially for the kids. They're thinking about, what am I going to get for Christmas? What's, what, what, what am I going to get? What have I written on my list, right? Uh, Lexi did that uh, at our house the other day. She wrote down some things uh, that she wants, and I looked down at it, and I thought, I thought of that song, Dream, 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 you know? She really is dreaming. But when I was a kid, we, you know, we knew every Christmas there was something we were going to get without fail. My granddaddy and nanny, we'd go over to their house for Christmas, and they would make for, there were six of us grandkids in the family, and they would make for us 
They would get the old paper sacks from the grocery store. They would go to the farmer's market in town and get some apples and oranges. And they would put apples and oranges and pecans. My granddaddy had a big pecan tree in the front yard. And uh, they would take some of those, I mean, the shell and all. They would divide them up, put them in that bag, apples, oranges, pecans, and put some peppermints in there. We knew we were going to get that every Christmas. You know, that, that bag meant so much to them because they lived in the Great Depression. And so when they received a few apples and a few oranges in a bag, that was a big deal to them. And so they, they would always they, they would always give it to us. We we knew what was coming. All right. Without fail, we were going home with apples, oranges, pecans, and peppermints every year. You know, for the Christian, we know what is coming. We know what's coming. We, we've read the book, right? We, we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We know. And Peter says this about our inheritance. He says it's imperishable which means it won't be destroyed. It's undefiled, which means it cannot be polluted. It is unfading. It will not fade away. It is verse 5. By God's power, it is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What are we talking about today? What is our subject for Advent today? Can you tell me anything that ought to fill your heart more than that? That you have salvation, you have an inheritance, and you are kept by God's grace until Jesus comes back. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Doesn't, doesn't that bring joy to your heart? Remember that. He said, rejoice in this. Rejoice in mercy. Rejoice that he is our living hope. Rejoice in your inheritance. Verse 6 and 7. Number 2, we need to remind ourselves that things here are temporary. Now, how many of you have ever sat down and maybe you've been in a spot where you realized you didn't have the kind of joy that you ought to have, and you begin to evaluate or make a list of the joy robbers in your life? Now, I hope that list wasn't full of people. You know, maybe, maybe it's your circumstances, okay? Maybe it's your job, okay? Maybe it's health, things that you're dealing with. But but you and I know that in this world, we are constantly bombarded with things coming at us, people saying things, people treating you a certain way that real quickly your happiness, your joy can dissipate. Can anybody relate to that? And we get, and we get overwhelmed. Or how about this? There are a lot of people that put their joy, their happiness on the things on this earth are immaterial things. Got to have things. Got to have toys. Got to have the nicest house. Got to have the nicest car. I've got to have things, things, things. And we need to be often reminded that those things fade and pass away. They don't last forever. When I was growing up... um, we had horses. My grandfather had, had horses and for us, and I had a little pony. His name was Star, and uh, we would go horseback riding all the time. And uh, there was one particular Christmas that I needed a new saddle for my horse. And, and my granddad had this thing. He'd slip out of the house. We'd have family dinner, and he would slip out of the house, and he would go back into the garage, 
and he would change into a Santa Claus suit, okay? And so uh, I, you know, I'm a little younger, not really understanding everything of what's going on, and uh, scared of Santa Claus, I might add, at that time. And so he comes in the back door of the house, and when he walks in, uh, kind of out of his bedroom and into the living room, he had in Santa Claus, granddaddy Santa Claus, had a brand new saddle for my horse. That saddle, I can still see it. It was beautiful. It was brown leather. It had a beige seat and a beige knob on it. It was the prettiest saddle I'd ever seen in my life. And, and Granddaddy, until he died in his 80s, he kidded me. Every year he would tell this story and run it in the ground. He would say, Tim, I walked in with that saddle, and Tim would jump up all excited, and then he realized Santa Claus had this saddle, and he'd sit back down because he didn't want to be around Santa Claus, right? I'm telling you, I love that saddle. The joy of that saddle, of throwing that thing over star, of fixing the stirrups and getting it all, to, and jumping on that horse with a new saddle. Man, as a kid, I felt like a million bucks. Well, I was thinking this week, Whatever happened to that saddle? Where is it? I wonder what dump it got taken to. That saddle today is out of sight, out of mind. I don't, I don't have it anymore. It, who knows, right? In that moment, that thing brought me so much joy, but now it has faded away. Church, the things of this world may bring you happiness for a moment, but they are fleeting and they will pass away. I, I was reading the other day the great uh, theologian Charlie Brown. Y'all have heard of him, right? Y'all read his books, get his books at Lifeway. He, he was pondering his life and everything that was going on in his life. And, and, and he said this, Yesterday, for a brief moment, I thought I was happy. But just when I thought, this is so funny, but just when I thought, I was winning in the game of life. There was a flag thrown on the play of life, and life dealt me a blow. Making the analogy of football, right? How many of you just cruising along in life, and you feel like everything's going great, everybody's well, the car's running good, all the bills are paid, and then out of nowhere comes a yellow flag, right? And those yellow flags can ruin your day. But as Christians, we know in the rhythm of life, some days are going to be happy, stress-free, things going well, and then other days, not so much, right? And that's why James wrote in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And the steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. You know what James is challenging them there? He's saying that even in the midst of your trials, a Christian has joy because we know that God is always at work and he is fulfilling his purposes in our lives. Let me finish in verses 8 and 9 by saying Peter gives us or challenges us to receive the joy of Christ. Look at it with me. Though you have not seen him, who's he speaking of? 
He's speaking of Christ, right? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Notice this next phrase. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How do we live in joy today? We know the rest of the story, right? We've not seen Jesus You've not put your eyes on Jesus. If you think you have, it was just a Domino's pizza, okay? You dreamed it. No man has seen God at any time. You've not seen him, but friends, we're going to see him. And when we see him, we are going to be speechless. Only two times in the Bible do we see this phrase, talking about Jesus, that he is inexpressible. He is indescribable. You, you can't put words to describe. You can't string together sentences and paragraphs that could even begin to describe how wonderful Jesus is. And our joy comes from knowing him. Where, where is our happiness? I'm almost done. Where is our happiness? Where is our joy? Is it in the things of this world? It's certainly not in unbelief because Voltaire, who was an infidel of the worst kind, wrote, I wish I had never been born. What a miserable thing to write, right? Happiness does not come in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure. And he wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Happiness is not in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of money. It was said that when he was dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on the earth. Happiness is not in a position or fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both. But he wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret happiness is not in great military power or military glory because alexander the great who conquered the known world in his day a great military leader it was said of him at the end of his life he was weeping in his tent and he said there are no other worlds to conquer in other words i've not found anything that really satisfies i've not found that thing that brings me joy so i ask you as i close where then is happiness found where is joy found joy is found it's very simple in christ alone in jesus second corinthians chapter 9 verse 15 is the other place where this word inexpressible is used Paul wrote this, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Is that what Christmas means to you, Christian? Let's, let's have some real talk here for a minute. Is that what Christmas really means to you? Is that it's not about things, it's not about materialism, it's about knowing that the greatest gift the world has ever known came to us 
in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I ask you, do you know joy? Do you know joy? Are, are, you, are you today as happy as you can be? Well, pastor, no, I'm not. Maybe it's because there's never been a time in your life where you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed your sin, and confessed him as Lord, and we pray that you'll do that today. Believe and receive Christ. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've done that already and you say, Pastor, I, I, you know, I've been saved five years or 10 years or 15 years, but I'm just not, I'm just not filled with joy today. So I'm going to ask you, why not? Why not? Is there sin in your life you need to confess? Have you fallen in love with the things of this world more than the things of God? And God is saying to you, Come on back. Some of, you, some of you have lost it. You've lost your joy, and you need it back. And the prayer you need to pray today is the prayer of David in Psalm 51, where David cried out to God and said this, God, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Notice it doesn't say my salvation. It says thy salvation. David, of course, fell into sin in his life. He let sin get into his heart. He committed adultery, committed murder. And he, he was a miserable human being, a miserable person to be around. He was miserable in his relationship with God. But let me say this about David. He was a great repenter. And in the midst of his repentance, he said, God, I've got to have my joy back. I want to be a joy-filled person. Is that you today? Is that you? Really? No, really. Is that your desire? Do you want to live in joy? Do you want to have the joy of the Lord? That is what Christmas is all about, is that joy came down to us. In the birth announcement, I bring you good news of, say it with me, of what? Notice it doesn't just say joy. It says great joy, meaning that your life is overflowing with the joy of the Lord. Can we pray together?